We are so excited for this time, and, and this is just a pivotal moment. You know, we tell the story sometimes about how the church started, and Bedrock started with 25 people meeting in a borrowed space uh, on a Saturday night. And so this is, we're in our second year of ministry. God has been moving incredibly, and last night, actually, this room was full. Uh, and so we were completely full last night. And so you're, you're the overflow, right? This is, uh, this is the next thing. But we are so excited to be part of this. In fact, there's a couple people that, um, that came today, this morning again. They said the message was so good, I, I had to come back. I had to hear this again. Uh, and if you need that, we, that's why we put everything online. We don't want to become internet famous. That's like the worst thing in the world now. But uh, we do want to put all of our content out so that you can go back and see what happens. You know that you really only capture 10% of what you hear. Uh, so take lots of notes. That's why I, like, I, I try to bring illustrations and all that into this moment. But this moment right here that you're sitting in is an answer to prayer. Some of you wonder if miracles happen. Right here's a miracle. That we, we planted bedrock backwards. We planted this church the opposite of what every person would tell you to do, right? We launched on Saturday nights. We launched with $2,500 from me. And then we launched, yeah, that's how poor we were. Uh, and then um, we launched with 25 people, mostly our family, and we borrowed another church's building on a Saturday night. But in two years, we've seen over 20 people come to salvation We've seen our church grow now to this incredible amount. And I'm not all about numbers, but numbers help you measure how God's moving. And the reality is, is that every number is a person and every person matters. And so to help us pastor and help us understand, we have to understand how God's moving. And God's moving in an incredible way. And I fully believe and am praying that this service will be full. There's empty chairs in this room, but I believe in the next few weeks they won't be empty. Because I believe we're going to be on mission. We're going to be inviting people in. We're going to be part of what God is doing here at this church because more people need to hear what's going on. In fact, let me just tell you a statistic. A third, one third of U.S. Christians have not returned to church either in person or online since the beginning of the pandemic a year ago. We, we have to do something different. We have to do something uh, better as the church. And the reality is, is like, I know NFL Sunday is more entertaining. I know that there's a lot going on. So we're not here to entertain. We actually want to transform your life. Right? Because I don't want you to leave here feeling entertained, but your soul empty and you're struggling through the rest of the week. And you just need to come back to get that little bit of juice to get you through the week. We want something so much more. We want this to be the beginning that gets you through the rest of the week. And so, yeah, amen, amen. And so we are in this brand new series called Making It Through the Mess. And God really put this on our heart really back in December. Our team goes on a retreat for a couple days just to relax, to talk, to pray, to see where God is taking us for the next year. We actually plan out our preaching calendar for a whole year. And so just about uh, in December... Um, we really felt like there was a time that we needed to start talking about how our faith and how our minds actually come together. How science and the Bible are actually not enemies. Science is discovering just more about who God is. 
And so we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be worried. But we need to actually give us some tools that we find in the Word of God to combat this moment. Cody said this just a second ago. Mental health is through the roof in our country. Depression, anxiety, fear, all of these things are through the roof at this moment. And COVID only exacerbated that problem. In fact, being alone has been such an issue. And so the goal of this series is to talk about how we can mentally begin to have victory in the life that God wants us to have. And so I'm not going to show you these because um, I want to show you how smart I am uh, or how hard I worked because I'm going to put these up here um, so that you can come and read them. Okay, it's also to tell you that I'm not the smartest guy in the room and that there's a lot of really smart people who have been doing this for a really long time. But these are the books that I read and studied for this series beyond this book. And the reason why is because people are really starting to understand and I believe science is really starting to catch up with what God's been saying all along. What God has been saying, how we can have victory in this moment. And so this isn't going to be 10 tips to have a better life. This is going to be principles to help you fight the war. And so these books are written by incredible individuals with incredible insight. Some are super science driven and some are not. And that's okay. But I want to leave these up here for you because if you want to come take a picture of these books, I want you to read them. I also want you to know the people that God used to help participate in the preparation of this series, okay? And so these are here for you, and you can, can come take a picture or anything like that, but honestly, those books have shaped everything in this series. Now, I want to just start off this moment with a bit of a disclaimer, because in the church, we have this nasty habit of making mental health and any of these kinds of issues a stigma. We, we have this nasty habit in the church that we, we say like, oh, you just don't have enough faith. Oh, no, you just don't have enough in you. Oh, no, you just need more Bible. I would agree, you need more Bible. But I want to tell you that this church in this moment in this series is a judgment-free zone. In fact, I just want to be open and honest with you. Your pastor has gone and does go to from time to time counseling. Okay? I go. I need it. I need to talk about it. I need to release some things. I need to let some things that go on around the church or in our lives off my chest. I need to help processing through the moment. And listen, this is biblical. Bear each other's burdens, right? Carry these things with one another. And so if you need counseling, there's no problem with that. In fact, we as a church at times will give scholarships to people in our church to help pay for counseling to get them started. If that's something that you need, that's an offer that's open to you. That's why our giving and our tithing is so important. We just don't want to like make big rooms or anything like that. We want to do ministry. And so when you're giving, just so some of you know, some of your giving, we're paying and helping two people in our church right now go get counseling. That's what this is about, because God didn't just come to save us for heaven, he came to save us for this life as well. See, some of us don't have to live through hell while we're here. And so this series is all about that, but I want to just release every single person right now in this moment that there is no stigma attached to this. In fact, we got to remove it because what you try to hide and conceal cannot be healed. 
So if you're hiding and suffering alone with mental health, with depression, with anxiety, with fear, with anger, and all of these things, you're just suffering alone. So we're going to get over it, and we're going to get this out in the open, and we're going to start to go after it. Because the one thing that the enemy wants to do is isolate you alone. Right? We know this. I mean, you ever watch wolves hunt? They don't just hunt the whole herd. They isolate one. Then the whole pack of wolves hunts the one. You have an enemy that wants to isolate you because when you're alone, the thoughts in your head can be the worst thing that's going on. And so what you have to realize in this moment is we want to help us turn on our brains. In fact, one of the books is called Switch on Your Mind. It's by a doctor. Her name is Caroline Leaf. She's a researcher. And listen to what she says. Research is showing that our mind, the way that we think, actually affects our physical brain. There is actually brain change and changes in the way that we live dictated on the way that we think. In fact, we're going to go through this in this series. We're going to actually look at the science of the brain and how we can begin to change that. But she, in, in her book, mentions this thing, uh, this study that they did where they uh, studied the effects of prayer on the human brain. Not just like are people feeling better. They did scans on brains to see if there was a difference. And in this moment and in this time, they realized that people who prayed for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, they saw physical measurable changes in the human brain for people who did that. And this is why this is so important. One of the people that wrote one of these books, I love the way he said this. His name is Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor out in Oklahoma. He said this, if we change the way that you think, we'll change the way that you live. Change the way that you think change the way that you live. And that's what this series is going to be all about. And as I was preparing for this message and preparing for this series, this story came to mind about a couple of years ago. Kelsey and I were brand new, newlyweds, married, and we were, you know, we're poor, but you know, we're in love and everything's good and, and life is great. And so Kelsey's cousin, her name's Tanya, she came to visit Kelsey and I in Virginia. Now Tanya at the time was eight months pregnant. And so we were like excited. We couldn't wait. And so we were like, hey, let's, let's go out to dinner. I'm so hungry. I can't wait to get out to dinner. Let's go out to dinner tonight. She's like, okay. So we drive on the road and we pass on our way to dinner a pet store. And Kelsey and Tanya go, hey, let's go to the pet store. And I was like, oh, it's on the other side of the road. We're going to have to do a U-turn. No, no, no. But I gave in. And so I find myself doing a U-turn and going to the pet store. And as I was walking in, I was like, hey, we're, you know, like, we're not going to get a dog or anything, right? You know? And said, so, no, 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 no. Biggest mistake of my life. I didn't understand um, how eight-month pregnant women think, and I also did not understand my wife. And so I walked into this moment, and I walked into the store, and I was like, okay, we're just looking. You know, like the person asked you, like, oh, can we help you with anything? We're browsing. Okay, we're just browsing. Well, in one of the pens, whatever you want to call it, boxes, there are two puppies, and they had a name on the cage called Chawini. That means a dachshund and a chihuahua came together and created a Chawini. And so you're like, that name is so cute. And you're like, yeah, okay. So then Kelsey and Tanya look into this cage, will look probably like a prison, and said, we got, look at these cute little puppies. Let's get them out. Let's play with them. And I'm like, uh, okay, hey, can you get the puppies out? I'm like, hey, we got dinner. 
we got to go to dinner. Well, the end of the story is we have a dog named Trip, and Tanya has a dog named Kai because we had to get both of them. And I had to do the thing where her husband, who was at war in Iraq, I had to make a phone call and say, hey, man, I don't know what happened, but you got a dog. I know you got a baby on the way, but hey, I took him to a pet store. See, the thing about that story is, is that I was walking into a battle that I had no idea I was walking into. I was walking into a war that I, had, I was not prepared for at all. I really thought that, hey, we're just going to stop in and look at some dogs. They're going to get their dog fixed, and we're going to leave and go to dinner. Well, $1,000 later and a new dog named Trip, we didn't go to dinner because I couldn't afford it anymore. And so we went and we got, you know, because you have to get a bull and you have to get a harness and you have to get like the, you know, organic, you know, grass-fed dog food. You got to get it all. And so I wonder how many of us are actually in a battle and we don't even realize it. How many of us like daily, you're in a war, you're in a battle right up here in your mind. And you just don't even realize it because it's so normal. Those negative thoughts, that first thing that you look at in the mirror and you go, oh, man, I could really, there's a little extra here. You know, oh, I need some makeup today. Oh, man, my hair, I'm losing it, right? Like, and the very first thing that you do is start your day with negative thoughts. You're in a war, you're in a battle, and see, the reality is, is that so many of us are in this war and in this battle, and we don't even realize it. And that's why we're not having victory. I wasn't able to have victory when I walked into the, do- the pet shop because I wasn't ready for what was going to happen. And so I was overwhelmed by this moment. I was overwhelmed being in it unprepared. But what we're going to really realize in this series is that in order to really begin to have victory, the only way to do that is to be right with God. See, you and I are in a battle, and it's not a battle that we can win on our own. It's not a battle that we can walk through in, this, in, the, in our life and have in this moment. So the title of today's message is When You Don't Know You're in a Fight. And if you have a Bible with you, we're going to hunker down kind of just right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, and this is written by a guy named Paul. And Paul, if you don't know his story, his name was previously Saul, and he was a Jewish Pharisee. And actually, he was zealous in persecuting Christians, really went after it, killed people, put people in jail, and all of these things. Well, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth who's dealing with a lot of junk. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. And so what happens is, is Paul, I believe, definitely knew what the battle was like in the mind what the battle was like in the mind and how much it affected them. And so Paul writes to the church and he's going to give us just these couple of verses that are so profound and where we're going to start our series. So if you have a Bible with you, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, redestroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so the very first thing that you and I have to realize is what Paul starts with is, hey, you're in a battle. You're in a war. Look, he starts out and he says, we are in this struggle. We are raging war, but it's not according to the flesh. See, some of us don't even realize that we're in a battle because it isn't physical. 
But could I tell you that there's probably some physical symptoms in your life from the battle that's raging in your mind? See, because what kind of goes on here and here has its way of making it out into the world. See, so many of us are dealing with this moment in life where we are struggling so desperately with our thoughts, but we don't even really realize that it's a battle. In fact, it's become normalized. Some of us are so used to being in war that we, we don't, we're not even fighting. We're just kind of overwhelmed and overcome by what is happening. See, that, that battle, there are physical symptoms of it, right? Like weight gain, right? When, when Kelsey and I were first married, we had our Piper. And when Piper was six months old, we, had, we got this really great surprise that we were pregnant with Tatum. Now, Kelsey was breastfeeding and on birth control, and we got pregnant. It's the miracle, right? Like, we, when we, I, I was, like, so shocked that it happened. We went to the doctor. I was like, we need a blood test. I'm not trusting this Walmart brand pregnancy test. Uh, this is impossible. The doctors told us it's impossible. Thank God we serve the God of the impossible, right? But here's the deal. They, they came in. They took the blood, and they're like, the nurse walked in, and she was like, congratulations, you're pregnant. And we were both like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And she's like, what? And we're like, we have a six-month-old at home. And she's like, oh, oh, right? And I was so stressed out that I immediately, the, the clinic where we went to get the blood test was across the street from a Little Caesars. I went to Little Caesars, and I ate a whole large hot and ready, right, by myself because I was stressed because the mental battle was so overwhelming, I had to go to a physical source to try to heal me. How many of us are going to physical things to heal a mental or spiritual problem. Let me just tell you, things of this world will not satisfy the thirst of your soul. They're just not meant to do that. That's not what they were built for. They're built to be good. They're built to be enjoyed, but they're not meant to fulfill you. That's why you have to get a new iPhone every two years. Right? Because it's new, and I need to be new, right? I'm, look, I'm guilty. I do it. Okay, I'm like, upgrade me. But here's the deal. How many of us have physical problems in our life that probably have a spiritual root? Weight gain. Not just weight gain, weight loss, right? I'm on keto because I had a spiritual problem, and I was comforting myself with food. Can I just be honest with you? That's why I had to go on keto, Right? Because I was using the world to satisfy me so I didn't have to deal with some of the thoughts I was struggling with. How about this? Hair loss. Now, I'm not that stressed and I'm still losing my hair. So there's no hope for me, right? Like, it's gone. It's going to happen. I'm going to be bald one day. But here's the deal. There are so many. How about biting your nails? How about picking? How about obsessively working out? How about not working out at all? I mean, how many of you know that depression is a prison and it leaves you in bed and not wanting to live life? See, but we're going to go treat all the physical problems. But let me just tell you, there's not enough pounds that you'll lose that your soul will feel healed. There's not enough pizzas and hot and readies and all these things that we're trying to fulfill our life with that's going to heal your soul. And so what Paul says here is like, look, you are in this battle. In the battle, the second point is this, is more deceptive. The battle is deceptive. It's more deceptive than you and I know. 
Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not raging war against the flesh. So many of us are trying to use the physical and the things of this world to fight the battle to help us when we have a spiritual need. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the purpose of negative thoughts are? Right? I mean, there, there is a very minuscule moment where negative thoughts can help you. Like, oh, here's a negative thought. If that bear catches me, it's going to kill me. Negative thought. But that negative thought's meant to move you towards something better. Right? Oh, if I do this, this will happen. Not all negative thoughts are negative. They, they can have a positive outcome if they lead you to a better moment. But how many of us are stuck in our negative thoughts, and our spiraling, and, and we're pressed down and crushed and pushed and persecuted and, and, and suffering and suffocating because of these thoughts. God never designed it to be that way. In fact, what, what is the, the evolutionary benefit of depression? I mean, let's just be honest. What is the evolutionary benefit of depression? Like if we want to get science and start talking like that, where did that come from? What adaptation helped someone not want to survive? How does that create a better and more fit species to survive when it keeps you in bed and you can't move and you don't want to talk and you don't want to be in relationship and you're overeating or you're not eating at all? Where is the benefit of that? And so we have to realize that the battle that we are in is in our minds and it is a spiritual one. And these feelings that we have are so important, and these feelings are attached, and, and what those feelings do to us affect our lives. But let me just tell you, because of sin, these feelings and emotions and thoughts can lead to death in so many ways. And some of you are like, oh, physical death. Yes, you can die early if you're stressed. You can die early if you have negative thoughts. You can have all of these things go on. But also, what about spiritual death? How many of us, because of what's going on in our mind, aren't talking to God anymore? How many of us, oh, I just don't have, like, the will anymore to go through the Bible anymore. I just don't want to read the Word of God anymore because this is just too much. God, I don't even have the, the strength to pray. What about relational death? Anybody experiencing relational death because your thoughts are so negative that you're pushing people away that should really be near to you? That you're not in a community group because what if they judge me? What if they actually knew who I was and I'm not going to go to a life group or a community group because I'm afraid to be known because all those people won't love me? So you relationally separate? How about emotionally dead? How many of you don't even care anymore? Like, you've kind of worn out your emotions so much that you just don't even care. You're dead. The only thing that gets you now is when Sarah McLaughlin comes on the TV and there's a puppy commercial. And you're like, uh, okay, get the credit card out. we got to save these puppies. Right? But here's the deal. You're emotionally, like, done. You're done. You're dead. See, the wages of sin is death. But some of us are experiencing all of these things to go with it. But can I say something about feelings? So the church has two ways about this. We're either like no feelings, it needs to be dry, or we're like everything is feelings, right? Like God told me, and I'm like, did he really tell you? Because that doesn't align with what he said. Well, I'm feeling it. No, you're feeling something. <laughs> but can I just tell you that every spiritual experience is not a divine experience, and that every feeling you have needs to be put into surrendered submission to the truth and the word of God. 
See, because here's the thing about feelings. Feelings are God-given. Feelings are beautiful, and they're meant to make this life better. But let me just tell you something about feelings. Feelings are a way in which we can experience the truth, but they cannot define the truth. Feelings are a way for you and I to experience the truth of God in this world in a much fuller way. But if they start defining what truth is, you're in a dangerous place. Because how many of you wake up feeling one way and going to bed feeling another? Thank God he tells us how he sees us, not just how he feels about us. You are this. You are that. This is who you are. And doesn't just say, well, I feel about you just this way. Because for some of us, it's the scariest thought in the world because our feelings go back and forth so much. What if God's do? Feelings are incredible. Enjoy them. Love them. I'm not a big feeler, right? But they're good. Part of me is broken sometimes. But here's the reality. Those feelings are good and God-given, but they can't be the definer of truth. They can just make the truth more experiential. And so we have to go into this moment and into this life and realize like, that's what our culture's telling us. Feel all the feels. The truth is what you feel. Feel, 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 feel. And God says, truth, 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 then feel. Right? And we have, why do you think we have such an issue in our culture right now where people are dominated by their feelings? Well, I just feel depressed. I just feel like I can't get out of bed. But this is the truth of who you are in God. So we need to put those feelings into submission to the word. And sometimes you need to look at your feeling and you need to look at the lie and you need to tell it the truth. That is not who I am. I am not my past. I am not this any longer. I am a child of God. He wants me to have a good life. He is saving me and restoring me. I'm getting out of bed. I'm not eating that. That's not my comfort. That's not my peace. Or some of you need to eat that because God loves you. And he's not loving you more or less based on what the scale says or how you look. It's, the re it's not like the more you wait, God's like, there's a lot more to love. And then there's not enough if you're really skinny. God's like, well, there's only a little bit. I mean, what are you going to do? God doesn't look at you like that. You might look at you like that. Can I just be honest with you? I fall into that lie. Okay, this isn't like me telling you, Pastor Blake's got this all figured out and I never wake up with a bad morning. This series has been kicking my butt just as much as it might some of us. Because I realized that the enemy was eating my lunch. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he or she thinks within himself or herself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. And so what does this proverb tell us? What is God telling us in the word? As you think you are. As you believe and as you think you are. Because some of you, the reality is, is you are loved. You are beloved. You are, you are saved. God has done an incredible moment in your life. God has saved you and restored you. But you're not believing the truth here, and so you don't live it out here. Why do you think God cares so much about transforming your mind? Because he knows how you think is how you'll be. See, we're living in this battle, and we're living in this area of our life, and we're just being crushed. Listen, here's some science about it. 
Did you know that when you are in like a negative thought moment, your brain releases this chemical called cortisol? Cortisol is used and can, is God-given and good to help those negative thoughts drive you to a better moment. But if you live in a high-stress area of your life where cortisol is being continually released, did you know that almost all the rational functioning of your brain shrinks? Physically shrinks. Like measurable brain scan, other parts of your brain, like your frontal lobe, where all of your rational thinking happens, begins to atrophy. Your amygdala, where your emotions happens right back here, shrink. Your feelings actually become more immature because your brain can't handle them anymore because you're living in a high-stress moment. God doesn't want you to live this way. God, that's why, like, people like addicts who say, I, we have addicts that will come to us and say, I just want to get off drugs. I don't want to do drugs anymore. I'll never do drugs again. Why do they go back to drugs? We just think it's this physical addiction. But what's happened is, is because their brain has operated in that way, their rational thinking at the front of their brain has actually atrophied, and they can't think logically anymore. In fact, some science is starting to show now that porn addiction and substance addiction are different. In fact, porn addiction, which there are societies pushing on us like this is so normal and you should keep doing this, is actually showing to decay the front of the brain. Like holes are showing up in the frontal lobe. Guys, this isn't just a spiritual problem. It's affecting you and I physically. And so let me just ask all of us, how do you see yourself? Are you fighting the right battle? Because so many of us are fighting a spiritual battle in the physical. And all you're doing, it's like trying to hold back a dam. It's trying to, like, you're just doing everything you can, but you know what happens to us physically? Anyone in here exhausted of this battle? Anyone just tired of these negative thoughts? Anyone in here tired of this moment? Because you're fighting something that isn't physical, it's spiritual. And no wonder so many people in our world have to continue and continue and continue in this process and aren't finding freedom because it's a cage. See, what you have to realize is, is you have to have the right tool for the job. You have to have the right tool for the job. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In order to fight the right fight, we have to know what we're truly dealing with and what we're fighting. Where are all of your thoughts coming from? See, some of us in here believe that your very worst enemy is you. Your very worst enemy is not you. It's how your worst enemy affects you. See, we don't just need to know what we're fighting. You and I really need to realize who we're fighting. See, this is who we're fighting. I'm going to let you know his name. His name is Satan, the enemy, the deceiver, the evil one, Lucifer, the father of lies. Have you heard of him? Do you know what's crazy? Statistically, like over half of U.S. Christians don't believe the devil exists. Can I just tell you something about that? That's the greatest deceit the enemy ever got you to believe that he doesn't even exist because why would you ever fight him? Right? It's like a football game. I love Tim Tebow. I wish he was still playing sports. But if Tim Tebow got hurt, the other, the other football team doesn't prepare for Tim Tebow. You know why? Because he's not even on the field. 
For so many of us, we believe that the enemy and Satan and his whole crew aren't even here. And so why would we prepare for a spiritual fight? We just think it's all physical. And the greatest thing that the enemy's gotten you to believe is that he doesn't exist. And so you and I have to fight this battle differently. We have to use a different set of weapons. There's a a different way to do this because I don't just want to tell everyone, here's the problem and here's what the Bible says. I actually want to give you real life physical tools to fight this battle. Like we're going to call it the bounce principle. It's in many of these books. When you have a negative thought, you need to bounce to a positive one. It's bounce. Like not that you're going to say like never have a negative thought. Impossible. What you're going to do is when you have a negative thought, it's going to be a trigger for you to bounce. Oh, negative. Here's a positive. But let me just tell you something. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is the power of biblical thinking. This is the power of truth thinking. Because here's the reality. If we don't give you the truth and just give you these positive replacement thoughts, you're not going to believe them. And half of the battle here is you believing the truth. So how many of you have tried that? Like, I'm just going to say all these nice things, and I'm going to think all these positive thoughts that I really don't believe. How long does that last? You know what the great thing about the truth is? You don't have to believe it for it to be true. You could just say it. Keep saying it. Keep saying it. Keep saying it. And let me just tell you something. Your heart will come into alignment because you'll experience the truth. So what are the weapons of our warfare? The very first weapon for you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is our most important weapon that we ignore most of the time. His name, the Holy Spirit. His name is the Holy Spirit. And you and I are not going to be able to experience a new life if we don't have what's called a regenerate heart. The Bible says that you and I are born spiritually dead. That word regeneration means rebirth, new birth. And so what the Bible talks about for you and I is that our heart actually needs to come alive. And why is that so important? Where do our decisions and where do our thoughts come from? The Bible refers to that as the heart. If you have a dead heart, how are you going to make decisions for life? And so the Bible says that when we are saved, we are spiritually rebirthed that we are brought to life, right? You have a physical baptism to represent the spiritual one, that you were brought back from the dead spiritually to new life. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us fight the battle, but also to bring you to life. Look at what Titus 3, 5 says. He saved us, being Jesus Christ, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, rebirth, and renewal, of the Holy Spirit. God has saved you and is saving you by the work of our greatest asset, the Holy Spirit. My question is, do you know him? See, some of us don't know how to really identify with the truth because we don't know the voice of God. See, God may be telling you things, but you can't recognize who it is because you don't really know God's voice. You want to know God's voice? It's right here. This is such a beautiful gift because it made clear in black and white who God is and how he feels about you and who he made you to be. And when your feelings and these negative thoughts are trying to steal from you, you can go back to the book and you can read the truth about how God feels about you. You want to know how much God loved you? He sent his son for you. You want to know how much he loves you and wants you to have an abundant life and to move forward in this life? He sent his spirit to reside in you. And so the Spirit is our very first 
weapon. The next is truth. The Bible is referred to as the truth, the word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1, and the word became flesh. Do you want to know what the truth looks like? Look at the life of Jesus because he was the physical embodiment of the truth. And so the truth is our next weapon. And so what the Holy Spirit will do is it will testify to the truth of what is actually true and real about you and begin to testify to that moment. And so the Spirit uses the truth to transform our heart, which affects the way we think, which affects the way we live. But then prayer. Prayer is such an important tool for you and I. We Are you talking to the one who can heal your soul? Not just hearing what he says about you, but are you talking to him about you? And prayer is not to change the mind of God. Why would we want to change the mind of God, who is perfect, holy, righteous, all-knowing, and all-benevolent, and change his mind to our way of thinking? Like, hey, I know you know the future. I know that you're all powerful. I know that you see what's coming. I know that you know what's best for me. I know that you love me, but I want you to do what I, you want, like, what I want. God, prayer, I truly believe is where God will shift your heart to agree with his truth because it's better for you. And so would I as a parent go to my kids and go, hey, you know what? I know you really want to go play in the street. If you, you could probably convince me. Do you think that my kids will ever convince me, Dad, I'd like to go play on I-75. I want to play soccer. <laughs> and I'd be like, convince me. And then I'd be like, that is such a good argument. Yes, let's go to I-75. Let's play. Let's see what happens. Why would we go to God and say, hey, God, I want to play on I-75. I really want to do it. I think Frogger looks cool. I like the idea of dodging traffic, and I want to do it fast. And God's like, you convinced me. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, worse happens is you come home. Okay, let's go. Right? Like, no, God, that's not God. God says, I, I love you, and I want what's best for you, so I'm going to say no because I do love you. And the truth, through prayer, will shift your heart towards that. See, some of you, the very first thing that you need to do when you feel the feels is go to God in prayer. God, is this true? Is this accurate? Is this how I should feel? Is this holy, righteous anger, or is this anger about me? Is this fear, holy, righteous fear, or is this fear of man? Like, I'm feeling it, and God's not going to go, stop feeling that. God's going to say, no, no, I just wanted to submit to my truth, and that's why I gave it to you. See, some of us don't realize that the law of God is the greatest possible gift besides Jesus Christ that God ever gave us. Because the law was not there to remove your freedom, it's there to preserve your freedom. See, my kids are only allowed to play in our backyard, which has a fence. They can't go out to the front. Why? Because I put some law around them so that they will have preserved freedom inside that place. Because I know what happens on the other side of the fence. They go out in traffic, you're not going to have freedom to play anymore. You're going to get hit by a car, and you might not be able to play ever again. So I'm going to say no. Right? I know who's on the other side of the fence. You don't but I know the world. I'm not letting you go play out there by yourself. See, we have to realize and see in this moment that God's law is meant to preserve you, not to provoke you. He's there to help you. But the next thing that you and I need is perseverance. We got to keep going. Some of us are just so tired in this battle. We're about to give up in your miracle and your freedom is just on the other side. Don't give up. You got to keep going. Even if you're crawling, even if someone else is dragging you, Keep going and persevering. So you got to have that correct perspective is the next weapon. 
You have to know what God is doing. Galatians 50.20 says this, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. This is when Joseph ends up in jail. He is sold into slavery and he goes to Egypt. If you know the story, Joseph rises into the Egyptian kingdom, comes second in command, and Israel faces a famine and is going to die. But because Joseph was second in command, his brothers come to get food from Egypt, and he ends up moving them into the house. That's how Israel ends up in Egypt. What you meant to kill me, God meant to prosper me. That's the right perspective. Is God doing this moment in your life where he's moving you to freedom? But the next thing that you and I really need is community. Who COVID took that away. Zoom's great. It's just not like real, okay? See, when you're hurting, when JT's hurting so bad and he can't move forward, I can pick him up by his shirt and his britches and carry him. Some of you in this room need carried right now. There's people in this room who are willing to do it. The fact that you're isolating yourself completely from community is only allowing you to suffer alone. When there's people here who God's placed in your life to carry you. And guess what? You'll return the favor one day. There's days of my life that I needed carried. And God used other people to do it. God uses his church and other people all the time to accomplish his will. But there's the last thing. I'm going to add one, praise, worship. How are you going to fight a spiritual battle without acknowledging and worshiping the spiritual one? See, praise is a weapon. Praise is you choosing to agree and sing the truth of God in the midst of the storm. Praise. But finally, this, and you might not really think that, that we should do this, but I agree, medicine. What? We're in church. Yeah. You don't think that God's part of the scientists in the process to create medicine? You don't think he's part of that? Like, you think oh, God's like, science! Oh, no! No! Sci-! It's just revealing who he is! You don't think that God has used some of these things to help us? Anyone ever, ever take Advil? My body hurts. Start praying! My leg's broken. Pray it away. Pray the pain away. You can pray, God, please help me, but I need some Advil, right? Like, why, why are we so against this in the church? You don't think God was part of that process? You don't think that God was part? Like, yes, they can do bad things. Anything can be bad. Some of you use spirituality, I don't mean that in a good way, as spiritual medicine when it's not God. Don't you think that's just as bad as taking an Advil? Some of you are so worried about your future, you're going to get read by tarot cards. What? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to someone who talks to spirits. What spirit are they talking to? I don't know, but I'm going to get some advice. Well, there's really just one good spirit. His name is God, and he has a, a son in the Holy Spirit who resides in you. So why do you need to go to somebody to talk to a spirit that you don't know? But I won't take Advil. I'm spiritual. Yeah, your spirit's something, right? I mean, here's, I mean, come on. Like, let's think about this for just a second. If you're on medicine and it's, you, you need it, that's okay. Maybe that medicine will free you for a second physically so we can deal with the spiritual. See, some of us were so overcome by the physical problem that we can't address the spiritual one. Think about the paralytic at the well when Jesus said, you want to be healed? 
Yeah. Jesus doesn't mean physically healed. He says, get up and walk, but then he talks to him about his soul. Did you notice that? Jesus heals the physical so he can address the spiritual. Some of us need to start addressing the physical so we can get to the spiritual. We're never going to see ourselves in the right way if we don't do one thing, if we don't break down the walls. See, for the weapons of our warfare, starting in verse 4, are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're going to talk about in the next few weeks, how do you actually take a thought captive? See, some of you need to start taking prisoners. Some of you are locked in a jail, but there's some things you need to be putting in jail. We're going to learn how to do that through the power and work of God. But see, some of us don't even know what thoughts to take captive because we don't know the truth because we haven't been reading this and we have zero relationship with God. This isn't meant to make you feel bad. This is meant to make you get towards freedom. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. He's been telling us this all along. Science is just catching up. So, see, most of the issues that we face come from an external source that tends to wound us internally. See, the reason why some of us in this room are dealing with some of the thoughts we had is because your fifth grade teacher or fourth grade teacher, you wouldn't. Some kid in your class called you fat. Someone said this. Your, your mom or dad might have spoken lies over you. Someone said something in you that you... So I think a lot of us are just wounded little kids walking around. A lot of us just took all of this baggage and just took it into adulthood, and it's jacked us up. I mean, that's why we do Kids Rock, guys. We don't just do Kids Rock to provide free babysitting for you. We want to do warfare and help those kids for them to know the truth so that some of those wounds will never enter their heart. In fact, my favorite ministry at the church is Kids Rock. That's where I actually learned to do ministry. I taught fourth grade Sunday school for boys for two and a half years. I believe you want to make an impact for the kingdom? Start there. Why? Because I didn't grow up as a Christian. And there's some thoughts and some things in my life that I'm still paying the consequences for because I had no truth to fight at. I didn't know. And so Satan, he ate my lunch as a kid. I mean, like, really. He put some things deep down in my soul that God's still like, hey, we got to get rid of that. It's time. Freedom. Let's go. You don't think during this series that I, I was a little messed up? You don't think reading some of these books, I was like, oh, shoot. I see the lie that I believed. Now here's the truth. Rooted out of me, rooted out of me, rooted out of me. Because here's the reality. When we are free, we'll have no problem sharing with people in this world. When you're free, when, when, when you're no longer suffering through some of these things, when God is moving your life, you'll have no problem moving forward in this life. See, Amen. I'm going to ask you to come up here real quick. See, I want you to get this visually, and this is where we're going to end this morning, is, you know, when I went to that, that pet shop, the problem was, is I wasn't ready for the battle. I wasn't ready for what was going to happen. And because I wasn't ready, there's some lies that I started to believe. Like, we're just going to go look. We're, we're going to look, right? Like, we, we, we won't get a puppy. Uh, you know, and then the lies were like, oh, look, look how like, cute they are. And then the lie was, uh, well, like, let's just hold them. I just want to hold them. That's it. I was like, okay, right? And I just, oh, I'm going to believe that lie, right? And, then, and then, then these lies started to build up. And then it was, well, they're not that expensive. 
Like, but you know, like at the end of the day, I promise that that will make me happy forever. Anyone ever heard that lie? That thing will make me happy forever. If I just have this one thing, I promise my soul will be satisfied. I'll never have a bad thought in my life again if I just have that one thing. This will complete me. Then I heard the lie of, we need both. We, they're brothers. We can't separate them. Wait a second. You live like four hours away from us. Why do we need both? I started to believe these lies. And you know what these lies began to do to me? It began to put me in a jail that I couldn't get out of. See, because I believed those lies, just built one on top of the other, I began to be put in prison where there was no choice. There was no ability to say no anymore because I had believed all of these things. It led to the next thing. See, the Bible talks about here that we have this power, these weapons, those spiritual weapons that we just talked about that are able to break down strongholds. That word that's, that's used there in the Greek means a fortress, a physical wall for safety. I know walls are a big deal in our culture right now, and we're all freaked out about it, but here's the deal. Walls meant safety then. And let me just tell you something. Walls not only keep the enemy out, they also keep you in. See, the same walls you've erected to, to save yourself from bad things have also become your jail cell. And the Bible says that these spiritual weapons that we use, the Holy Spirit, the truth, all of these things are meant to break down strongholds. They're meant to overcome these fortresses that we build in our lives. And so let me just ask you, as we get ready to end this morning, what lies are you believing that are actually your prison? See, they might have started out to keep you safe from something. But now, they're the things that are holding you back from everything. And we talked about it. If we're going to really get mental freedom and live a transformed life, we have to be right with God. We have to start with him because we cannot use all of these tools if we don't use the one who is the power of all of them. If we aren't right with God, regeneration and all of this process, we might as well stop because we got to get right with God. And so let me just ask each one of us, what are some of the lies that you're believing that are building a stronghold and you're actually in jail with God on the other side? So you know what's incredible is what does the Bible say? While you're here alone and all these lies are believed and nothing can get in, but also nothing can get out, by the way, where does the Bible say that the Holy Spirit resides? In you. There's not a prison cell that the Holy Spirit can't cross. See, we don't need someone to come from the outside to save us. We need someone who can save us from the inside. And so let me just ask you, what are some of the lies that you may be believing about God? Do you believe that he's distant? That's a lie. The Bible says that he's close. Psalm 139 do you believe God's demanding? No, God's accepting, Romans 15, 7. Do you believe God's uncaring? That's a lie, he's kind. Psalm 103, do you believe God's cold and, and, and not hearing you and not believing you? No, he's warm and he's near and he's close, Isaiah 40. 
Do you believe that God's too busy for you because maybe your parents were too busy for you? That's a lie because God is present. See, some of us like don't even want to bother God. We just think, you're so busy running the universe. And God's like, that's easy. I sustain everything by my word. I didn't even have to lift a finger. I'm not too busy. I'm present. Hebrews chapter 13. Do you believe God is angry with you? Like, not righteous anger. Do you just believe that God's angry with you? Because you've dealt with so many angry people in your life. Maybe your parents were always angry. Maybe your siblings were always angry. Maybe your partner or your spouse is always angry. And so that's the only way you know how to have relationship. And so you don't want to go to God because you don't want to piss him off. That's not true. He's patient. Second Peter, do you believe God is mean? That's not true. He's protective. Isaiah, do you believe that God is unforgiving? No, God is completely forgiving. Psalm chapter 130, do you believe that God can't do it? Then what you're believing he can't do is bigger than him. And that's God. God can't. No, with God, nothing is impossible. Luke chapter 1, are you believing that God won't? He won't heal me. He won't free me. He won't help me. He won't. That's not true because God is. Jeremiah 2011. And so see, the reality for so many of us is we're sitting here behind these lies about God. And maybe like not just one of those ticked the program for you. Maybe all of them did. There are lies that I have believed about God. Like, can I just tell you something? I was really scared of this morning. Do you know why? Because this is the very first morning we've had Sunday service. And I didn't believe God would do it. I was worried that he won't. But he is. That's the truth. Oh, God, in this culture and in this time, can you really build a church? He can't. No. He will. Nothing is impossible with God. God, we don't have enough volunteers. What happens? I'll provide. He is. God, you're angry. I'm patient. How many of us are living right now behind the seat of lies and our our ability to approach the Father has been cut off because we're in a prison? Negative thoughts, untruth, lies. See, a lot of your negative thoughts are lies that someone externally put up against you and you just had to be like, I need some protection. I need need that. I'm scared. God, God, how many, how about this? I really want this in my life. God, please answer this prayer. If you just do this one thing, I'll believe forever and I'll give my whole life to you and God doesn't do it. And he goes, "Uh, God won't. God won't. I asked like really a lot. I was really upset. I really needed the help. I really needed it. God won't. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna ask anymore. See, but the Bible says that we have this weapon, the spirit of God through the truth of God, through perseverance, through community, through all of these things that breaks down strongholds. And see, here's the reality of that. It's not that God's removing this stuff brick by brick. What God does is he removes strongholds and he gets done with it and he's sick of it. And these stupid lies are the things that you're believing. And God says, no more. I have sent the truth into the world and his name was Jesus Christ and he died for you to break down every stronghold and I wrote a book for you so that you could believe every part of it. 
But see, what happens is at salvation, that is your reality. You are no longer in a prison to these lies. You can walk fully in the truth. But how, how many of us, we look around. Some of you, like OCD people, are like, that's a mess. I'm getting stressed. What does stress do? Cortisol. What does cortisol do? Oh, there goes rational thinking. You're in fight or flight. That's a mess. I'm stressed. I'm str I need to clean up, God. And you pick up this stupid lie again. And when you do that, you look at the stupid lie again. And what do you do? It's like the thing that sucks you in. And you're sitting here in this world in your freedom, but you're stuck with a stupid lie in front of you because you picked it up again. Because something that wounded you externally was triggered again, so you pick up the lie. And this is the only way you can view the world any longer. And you go, well, where are you, God? And why aren't you here, God? And what's going on, God? And God goes, why did you pick up junk? Why did you do that again? See, some of you in this room, you are saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. You're just living through a lie. Those are the negative thoughts. Those are the things that are controlling you. Because, see, I'm not in a prison in here anymore. I'm out here. But if the enemy can't keep you from God, he'll definitely try to keep you from enjoying him. If I can't take you to hell, I'm going to make this life hell. You realize that? Do you realize right now that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the closest you'll ever be to hell? ever. This is the closest you'll ever be to hell. And so he wants to play it in HD and he wants you to live in it as much as possible because the only thing he wants is he doesn't want your eyes set on the king and taking other captives with you. So he gives you these lies. And we know that at salvation, theologically, they're all gone. He gives us every weapon to tear down strongholds. And through his spirit, he does everything. Because how many of us, you experience salvation, you experience all this freedom, and then three months later, those things crept back in. See, because what we did is, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Why do you think God gave us a law and gave Israel the law after they were freed from Egypt? Do you know that the law comes after they get out of Egypt? Do you know why? Because they didn't know how to live as free people. We're going to learn how to live as free people. See, God gave us a word, and he's given us a truth to help us live as free people. And so just this morning, as the band comes up, we're going to end, but see, we'd be wrong not to let you respond. You have to respond. And so just every head bowed, every eye closed for just a second. Would you just listen with me? What lie are you believing about God right now? See, if we're going to get freedom and we're going to really get through the mess of this mental moment, we have to be right with God. The battle starts here. You're in one, and we got to get it. So are you believing that God is distant? Are you believing that he's demanding? Are you believing that he's uncaring? Are you believing that he's cold? Are you believing that he's too busy? Are you believing that he's angry with you? Are you believing that he's mean? Are you believing that he's unforgiving? And I don't want you to think about any other person in this moment. I want you to think about you. Because we can't go and heal the world and do all of these things if we're not living in freedom ourselves. If you're going to be selfish, today's the day. Are you believing that God can't with that thing you've been praying for for so long? 
that he won't heal that family, that you'll never be over this wound, that that pregnancy may never happen, that that marriage won't be restored, that you'll never be healed. Do you believe that he can't? Mm. Are you believing he won't? And so you're not even asking. Can I just speak the truth over the lie for just a second? See, God's not distant. He's close. God's not demanding. He's accepting. God's not uncaring. He's kind. God is not cold, for he is warm. God is not too busy, for he is present. God is not angry because he is patient. God is not mean because he is protective. God is not unforgiving because he's all forgiving. God can do all things, and nothing is impossible with him. Not even the grave could hold him down. God won't. No, he is. He is. He is. So if you're in this room right now or you're listening online, the very first place to begin the freedom is, is God wouldn't save me or I don't need to be saved. Those are two lies that you're believing maybe. And for the very first time, you're going to believe right now for the very first time that you do need saving and you do need rescuing because you've been trying to meet all these spiritual needs with physical things and you're suffering and you're tired and you're worn out and you have to realize that the only hope for your soul is the one who made it. And the one who made it is Jesus Christ. And he came into this world and the truth became flesh. And he died for you and I so that we may be made alive again. That sin would no longer have reign on us, which is death. But Jesus would have reign on us. And that is life. And for the very first time you say, I don't know about those other lies. I just never believed I need saved. I never believed that God would do that. Just raise your hand right now and you say, I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus lived for me, that he died for me, and that he rose again. Maybe you're in this room and you've made that decision. Just with, like, this is, just, I'll close my eyes too, if you want. If one of those lies began to ring true in your life, and you're believing it right now, would you just raise your hand? all over the room. I lied. I, I, I didn't close my eyes. I looked. I'm not going to go find you and ask what lie you're believing. I don't need to know. I know the God who heals that doesn't need me. Whatever lie you're believing, picture it right now. And picture that enemy, the liar, the deceiver is the one speaking it over you. But you have a God who is standing right next to you and standing before you, Jeremiah 20, 11. And I want you to look that devil right in the face right now. And I want you to say, not today. That is not true. And I see what you are saying, but the God who has rescued me, the God who has redeemed me is standing right here and he is whispering the truth in my ear while you scream the lie over me. And so I choose to believe the truth. I will listen to the whisper because God doesn't need to yell because he is so close. You liar. God's not angry with me. You liar. I will be free. You liar because I believe in the God who is alive. Say the truth. Say it right now. In your heart, say it. The only way to defeat a lie is to tell it the truth. Every one of those truths up there had verses attached to it. 
because I want you to know that all those things exist in this book. And you can go back. And if you don't believe it, ask for belief. And so now we're going to do some more. We're going to praise. We're going to sing. And we're going to sing the truth over the lie. And we're going to believe. And we're going to find freedom. And guys, this is the first message. There's four more to go. I believe God's going to heal you. I believe he's going to do an incredible work. Let's not miss this moment. And whatever that truth is and that lie you've been believing, before you leave this place, write it down. Write it down right now. Because if you don't, the enemy will steal it from you as you walk out. Don't let just this room be your freedom. Now, it happened here. Now go walk in it. 